All right, let's take our Bibles today, and we're going to start in the book of Mark again, just kind of a verse we've kind of used to kick off each of our lessons or messages in this series. Again, we're talking about the local church, and this is our fourth week dealing with that, and uh, today we're going to note another message in, in regards to the church, okay? So Mark chapter 16, verse 15, we're going to start with that. <clears throat> again, I'm glad to see each and every one of you here. It's so good to see you. It's encouraging. We look out over the crowd and uh, see folks here, and again, we've had a rash of uh, nasty weather and a rash of uh, horrible illness, and boy, I tell you, the devil has just been fighting, you know, of all the days that things can go bad. Now, again, the schools have had a rough time, too. They've had to call off a number of times, too. Just a crazy winter, you know, a little bit different, kind of like it used to be when some of you grew up, you know. Not when I grew up, of course. It was just a few years ago I grew up. But uh, they, they, I remember when I was in school, when I was in school, this is no lie. They, they told us in science class, they told us that we were on the verge of another ice age. And they were telling us how we're going to have an ice age in so many years and all this stuff. And, and then all of a sudden in the last 10, 15 years, they've really made a big deal global warming. So it's interesting how they tell us what they want to tell us and we believe whatever they tell us half the time, <clears throat> but let's be careful, okay? Anyway, we went from having supposedly the ice age, it must have already hit, and uh, then we're at global warming, but uh, what I do know is this, what I do know is this, this winter reminds me of how it was when I grew up. I, I mean, I remember it being cold like this all the time, and snowy, and I, I don't know, we've had a really great weather over the last 15 years or so, it seems, uh, 15, 20 years, but uh, nonetheless, you're here today. Praise the Lord for that. That's good, and we're glad you're here. Let's go ahead and read the simple verse, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, very, very basic. The Bible says, and he said unto them, talking about the Lord, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Again, the, the, the purpose and the point of the church is pretty basic when you really boil it all down. It's to propagate the gospel. It's to get it out into a world that's lost without Jesus Christ. It's to take light into darkness. And so, you know, we have that opportunity today as a church, and we see that. You know, it's too bad, though, when it comes to the church, that the percentage of Americans who say that they seldom or never attend religious services, except, of course, for weddings or maybe funerals, uh, that number has risen modestly in the past decade. So over the last 10 years, more people today say that they seldom or never attend church than they used to 10 years ago. Roughly 3 in 10, or almost 30% now, of U.S. adults say that they seldom or never attend worship services. And again, that's, that's, that's too bad. Um, um, you know, that, that's, that's a lot of people. That's just a lot of people, isn't it? And that's up uh, from uh, the year 2003 by 25%. And so that it's climbing, and it's changing and starting to rapidly climb. Uh, again, that's from Pew Research Center surveys. And uh, the share of people who say they attend services at least once a week has remained relatively steady at about 37%. So they're saying that about you know 3.5, 3.7 of the people that you would ask out of 10 would say, oh, I go to church pretty steady. 37, 37% say that they attend at least weekly today compared to with 39% a decade ago. So 10 years ago, almost 4 out of 10, now it's a little under 4, say that they attend once a week. Now here's the problem. <clears throat> it goes on, the study goes on to say, of course, how often... Uh, people say they at usually attend services is not necessarily the same as how often they actually do attend. Isn't that something? So, you know, you know if you ask me, oh, how do you attend for, yeah, I attend, right, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but then he goes, if you'd actually look at their attendance, 
you'd find that maybe it wasn't quite as high as they say. And so um, there was a time diary study made. And time diary means that they literally write in what they do, you know, all the time. So that they're making an entry in a diary of, you know, when they went to church, when they didn't, that kind of thing. (coughs) Excuse me. And um, the respondents then reported uh, basically concrete activity over a limited span of time. (coughs) Often, often, they said, it showed lower rates of church attendance than data from surveys. So less people actually went to church than say they do in surveys. And he says uh, the, the data is, is, is viewed and it says, which perhaps better reflects how people see themselves rather than how they behave. So people see themselves as being more faithful to church than they really are. That's what he's saying. You perceive yourself to be pretty good, but in reality, you're not really going to church as much as you think because it's part, it's kind of tied together there, you know. So <clears throat> your, your actual going to church isn't as high as you see yourself going to church. Well, we know that for a fact, don't we? You know, how many times have we sat down with a Sunday school teacher or a worker that has committed to being in God's house faithfully? And, and of course, that's important. You know, I mean, if I had a, Sunday, a teacher at school that was uh, being paid to be a teacher at school and they only showed up every once in a while to school to teach, we'd probably be like, we, you need to find another job. Wouldn't you? Would you like your kid to have substitutes all the time? No, not at all, right? Well, same thing with our Sunday school. We, we expect our teachers to be faithful in God's house. And we just want the same thing that the world does, consistency. And so, you know, we, we go ahead and require that. Well, sometimes I've sat with teachers when I was a Sunday school superintendent. And uh, I would sit down with them at their review. And I would say, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, you're doing great here. You're doing good here. I really like this. You know, I'm hearing some positive things about this and that. But there is one area. Just kind of curious, you know, I'm looking at your list. I'm a little concerned about your, your attendance here a little bit. seems like you slacked up a little bit. You've missed nine out of the last 16 Wednesday nights. They'll say, no, I haven't. Nuh-uh. I'll say, here's the attendance sheet right here. And they look at it. You know what they usually do? Really? I never would have dreamed I'd miss that much. You know what it usually does? Fixes it. You don't have to get on nobody. You just show them the, the just lay it out there. You know what? Because we, we often kind of, you know, we think, you know, we're doing something made more than we really do sometimes. And that's true in everything. Husband says, oh, I'm being a good husband. The wife says, uh-uh. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Vice versa, too, by the way. It works the same way. So we have a tendency to exaggerate what we think sometimes about ourselves or things that are going along. And that's the same thing with this survey. And they're saying, so although the survey says this, it's probably likely that there are less people committed and faithful to church than even claim that they are. Among religiously affiliated Americans. Now, that's not just one religion or another. It's a number of religions. It says among religiously affiliated Americans who say that religion is at least somewhat important in their lives, but who attend worship services no more than a few times a year. 24% 24% cite personal priorities uh, personal priorities as being a reason they don't come to church. Oh, I, I believe church is important. It's, it's pretty important. But the reason I don't come is because of, as he says here, 24% or one out of four will say personal priorities. These issues are more important to me. Uh, or 16% who say that they're just too busy. 16% I'm just too busy to go to church. As reasons, <clears throat> those are reasons they, they, they say they don't attend more often. Another 24% mentioned practical difficulties, including work conflicts, health problems, or transportation difficulties. Nearly 4 in 10, or 37, uh, 37, point to an issue directly related to religion or church itself, for the reason they don't go. To religion or church itself. 
The most common, uh, the most common uh, religion-related responses include disagreements with the beliefs of the religion or their church leaders or beliefs that attending worship services uh, uh, is not important. It's not important. Uh, meanwhile, almost 1 in 10 or 9% do not attribute their lack of attendance at religious services to any in particular. Just, I don't know why. I just don't show up. Okay, and that's probably, you know, so that's 10%. Now, <clears throat> again, a number of reasons why people say they don't attend church and say that it's, you know, they may even say it's important, but they don't necessarily express that through their actions. Okay, so what we learn basically is this. What we learn is that the church overall is not that awfully important to a vast number of Americans. That's what, that's what we really learn. If you, you go out into the world where we're at today in America, you'll find that as a whole, church is not really that awfully important to Americans. The survey proves that. And then, like you say, the fact that probably even less than what claim to go do. And so we see that. And with, you know, but with all the conflict, all the confusion that is in the world today, it would seem that the stability of the church would be welcome to me. It would seem that way to me. But that's simply not the case, obviously. Uh, biblically, you know, you and I are admonished to both get involved and to participate in the house of God. It, to be there and to participate. Of course, biblically, that's, that's what we're told. And that participation is for our own good. It's for our own good. It's for our own, the good of our families. Um, you know, a lot of times we hear the pastor talk about being faithful, be faithful to church, be faithful to church, be faithful to church. And we go, man, of course he wants us faithful. He wants to grow this empire. He wants to build this, this thing. He wants to have the biggest church around. He wants this. He wants that. It's all about him, all about him, all about him. No, church is important to you and your family. Nobody benefits more by being faithful in God's house. And I'm talking about biblically sound church. I'm not talking about some crazy, nutty place that does crazy stuff that's unscriptural. You can't point to any Bible verse. You, you know, I'm not talking about stuff like that. I'm talking about churches that are preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, that are trying to do the work of God, that are actually out there witnessing and sharing Christ. I'm talking about a good church. You and I need the church. It, it benefits us and our families more than anyone else. <clears throat> This morning, as a result, I want to consider this topic then, the necessity of the church. And we've talked about a number of things over the last three weeks. We're going to talk today about the necessity of the church. Why is it so necessary? Why is it needful in your life and in mine? Why is it? I'm going to give you four basic things today, four basic reasons. <clears throat> and, and, and so we'll go from there and see what the Lord has for us, okay? So that's what I want to share with you this morning. And again, everybody's got an opinion, okay? Everybody's got an opinion. But let me tell you something. When we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat, opinions won't matter. Okay? I, I do want you to understand <clears throat> that we do have a Bible. And the Bible ought to be our, the, the, the rule of our faith and practice. We need to look to it. And so today, we're just going to look at a couple of things. We're not going to spend a lot of time, but enough time so that we can kind of get the basis and understanding. And I'm going to make some, uh, some applications, just share with you basically four areas, four reasons why the church is so necessary to you and your family and others, okay? So let's go ahead and um, take just a few minutes and do that. Father, bless us today. Lord, you know I need you. I, I have nothing to offer this thy people except you give it to me. So fill me with your spirit and allow me to be your mouthpiece today. Lord, um, I do need you desperately. And Father, I just pray that, Father, you'd be with every listening ear and anoint their ears that they may hear that which you'd have for them. 
God, we're in this together. Father, we live in a world that is in dire need of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, Your Son. And we live in a world where the devil's always fighting us and trying to you know, demand of us things. And help us, Lord, to set our priorities and to truly be prepared, Father, to stand on Your behalf. Bless us and help us today, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen. Okay, number one. When we talk about the necessity of the church, your faith depends upon the church. Amen. Your faith depends upon the church. Uh, and again, uh, you know, just bear with me as we go along here, okay? Because everybody has an idea of things. Maybe they've been taught something, heard something, things been said. But we who have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior are in dire need of spiritual renewal regularly. They're always constantly in need of spiritual renewal. That's just all there is to it. The onslaught of Satan's attack is ruthless. It is relentless. He is on the prowl. The Bible says that he is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He is seeking to devour and destroy you and me. That's all there is to it. And if we ever hope to stand in this humanistic and fatalistic society in which we live, there is no way that we're going to be able to do it without a little help. And you know that source of help God has given to us called the church. The church is so important. Again, he's seeking to distract us. The devil's seeking to discourage us. He's seeking to ruin us today. And we need the help of a God that can only meet that need in our life. Society, society is always on the prowl as well. And we have to be so careful. I'm telling you, according to our survey, the devil's doing a pretty good job. Our culture is doing a pretty good job of robbing Christians of their joy, of keeping people out of God's house, of distracting people from the most important things in their life. Now, again, the joy that God desires for each of us is found only in a very faithful life, a faithful and a consistent faith, a strong faith. And God's provided us the church in this age to do just that, to enable us to stand, enable us to succeed in the Christian life. Someone says they get saved and you say to them, listen, you know, would you, you know, if, if uh, you know, now that you're a child of God, you know, um, how good of a Christian would you like to be on a scale of one to ten? Well, anybody that's got any common sense and anybody's got any drive, anybody's got any real uh, motivation would say, well, I want to be the best Christian I can be. I, I mean, I'd like to be at least an eight on a ten, then at least an eight. And you say, well, listen, then I'm going to help you to get to that place. I'm going to help you to arrive at that. I'm going to do all I can to help you reach your goal of being an 8 out of 10 Christian then. Let me begin by telling you where you need to start. Where do you think people need to start if they want to really be a good Christian? House of God. And then the house of God, right. I saw a couple of hands. Thank you. But the fact is, is that, is that the, the house of God is a good place to begin. I mean, we've been in the world our whole life before we got saved. We've been inundated and, and uh, subjugated to, to all these different philosophies and ide- uh, ideologies. And we've been, we've been taught things that are just downright anti-God. And now all of a sudden we think that we're going to grow as a believer in that same environment? Impossible. It's not going to happen. And so God gives us the church. He gives us a place to go where we can ultimately be, be rooted and grounded and ultimately grow for Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there if you would, please. And again, we've been there a few times over these last few weeks. But it's so imperative and so important that we understand this passage. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. We'll start there. We're going to read just a few verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. 
Notice the Bible says there, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, let me just ask you before we continue on, where, where do you normally find those guys? Where do you find pastors and teachers? Do you find them at the local school? Do you find them public school system? No. Do you, do you find them? Do you really find them? And, don't, don't, you know, be, be, be honest. I mean, really, when's the last time the pastor showed up at your house, a pastor showed up at your house and had a Bible study? I mean, he just comes to your house and has the Bible study there. I mean, when's the last time the evangelist said, you know what, uh, I know you invited me to come to your church and preach, but I'm going to go over to Pastor Brother O'Donnell's house and do it instead. It doesn't happen that way. You want to hear the pastor? You want to hear the evangelist? You want to get involved in those things? You say, well, I can, I can listen to it on the radio. Okay, that's fine. But, but there's a little bit more to it than that. But the fact is that he gave some things to the church, gifts to the church, pastors and evangelists and teachers and all those things. Those are for us. They're for us. Why are they there? Where do you get those at? You go to church. You get them at church. You hear them at church. So he says, well, I got a bunch of tapes. Okay, that's good. That tape will do you a lot of good when somebody dies in your, your family and you call and say, hey, I want you to do my funeral. He goes, who are you? Uh, and I want you to do the wedding of my children. Who are you? And I'm just saying, I mean, it's important that we understand there's a little more to it. But, but still, these gifts, if you would say, especially just 10 years ago, even 15 years ago, you, you, you didn't hear that unless you went there, you know? And boy, is the devil smart, isn't he? Yeah, Look how he's created this whole thing. Now we don't have to go to church to hear preaching. We don't need the church at all now, right? We can just stay at home, listen to it on the radio. The reason, the reason we have the radio uh, services, our services on the radio, isn't so that Christians can stay home and listen. It's so lost people will. That's one reason why we're on WNIR versus maybe a Christian station. Now, we may not do that forever, but that's what we, the reason we did. That was our mentality at the time. We wanted lost people to hear it, not saved people. Okay, saved people are supposed to be in church. Okay, that's where they're supposed to be. But nonetheless, <clears throat> uh, and, and I know a lot of you listen to it, don't misunderstand me, and you still come to church. I had somebody mention, I think Brother Frank said to me today, that he, he listened to it and still is here. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Okay, now, notice what it says here again. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of, uh, of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now, again, too many have convinced themselves, again, that we just don't need the church in order to live the Christian life and to please God. I mean, that's just kind of a, a common philosophy starting to permeate even amongst Christians. And I want you to know that's just not true. That is not true at all. According to the Bible, according to the Bible, the gifts God gives are to the local church, and that's where we find them. What is one of the things God wants us to accomplish? What's he want in our life? According to the Bible, he wants maturity. You want maturity in your Christian life? You need God's house. That's just the way it is. The Bible makes it very clear that that's the case in verse 12 for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. If you want maturity, you're going to need the local church. You say, I don't care if I grow as a Christian. Well, then you don't need the church. You really don't. I'm sorry, but you don't. I mean, God intended that the child of God grow. Just like every baby grows. I mean, if you had a child here recently and, and that child is, say, two years old and it only weighs six pounds. And it's still a little baby crying, can't talk, can't walk, can't do anything. And it's two years old. You, what do you do? You take it to the doctors long before that, probably. 
Why? Because there's something wrong with its growth process. There's something wrong in that baby. We need to fix that child because it's not what? Growing as it should. But when Christians don't grow as they should, we say things like, well, they're just having a hard time. Well, they're just a little too busy. No, they're growth stunted. There's a problem. There's a spiritual problem. Growth is imperative. It's important. It's necessary. It's needful. It's absolute in a Christian life. It has to happen or we are not going to be able to accomplish or function uh, the function that God intended us to. Maturity. Not only that, but we find in verse 13, ability. God wants you and I to have an ability, some abilities. In verse 13 says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He provides us with the ability when we're a child of God and in the house of God to know God's word and then to know God's son and then to know God's plan for our life. Do you know that being conformed to the image of Christ is God's purpose and plan for you as an individual believer? You're not fulfilling God's purpose, nor am I, if I'm not being conformed to the image of Christ, if I'm not becoming like Christ. If I'm not more like him tomorrow than I am today, then I have yet to fulfill his purpose in my life. Now, listen, I can give more money in the offering. I can attend church more often. I can do more things in the house of God. But if I'm not growing as a believer, if I'm not becoming Christ-like, then I'm not fulfilling his real purpose for me. Because, see, God doesn't want a bunch of corpses running around here serving him. He wants a bunch of living beings. We died the day when we were dead in our sin and we operated in our flesh. And now we're saved and we're renewed and we're regenerated. And God's saying, listen, you stay alive. The only way you continue to live is to drink from my well. The only way you stay living is by, by taking the fruit off of my trees, by taking from my branches. I'm the vine. You're the branches. And you need to feed if you want to grow. Amen. And he says, I want to give you the ability to know my word, the ability to know God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to know the plan that I have for you. And those things are all available here at the local church. Then finally, stability. We have maturity, ability, and then stability. In verse 14, he says here that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Listen, the house of God is important. Why is it important in your life? Because it brings you stability in your life. I mean, there is a direct correlation between your spiritual maturity, your grounding in the word of God and your stability in your in the stability in your life, uh, uh, the stability in your life and the attitude and outlook that you have based on your faithfulness to church. You show me somebody that's faithful in God's house, consistent in God's house. It affects their 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 maturity. It affects their ability and it affects their stability. It's just all there is to it. Someone says, I don't need the church. You don't need the church. I don't need the church. I'm a child of God. God says I need the church. God says if I'm going to grow. God says if I'm going to be able to do. God says if I'm going to remain and steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I need this place. That's all there is to it. It's an absolute necessity. It is not an option. At least not to God. Number one, your faith depends upon the church. Number two, your family depends upon the church. Your family and, and people, what do you mean by that? Well, again, this is an area that's rarely considered when raising a family today. Often people don't consider this aspect. You know, we're quick to aggressively seek employment or career opportunities that will enable us to comfortably provide for our families. We're quick to do that, and understandably so. But often we are sluggish and we are slow, and we are even... Um, 
unwilling to ponder or think about the role that the church plays in building our lives and homes. You know, what part does the church play in building your life and your home? And people go, well, let me think about that. Well, let me ask you what role your job plays in building your life and home. Well, I, I get money and I'm able to put it toward my house payment and I put it toward my car payment and I put it toward my credit cards and I put it toward this and, and I'm able to get my kids nice clothes so they can go to school and not be laughed at and made fun of and I can uh, get them maybe one day if I'm fortunate and I make enough money I can send them through school and help them with their college and, and give them a good chance in life. And you got all kinds of answers. You want to know why? Because that's what we think about. We have to start asking ourselves some real important questions as believers today. What role and what part does this place play in my life and my family? Because that's what God intended it to be. It's not just you and it's not just your kids. It's all of us. It's our family. We, we, I bring my family here. What is it that God intends for us here? He has a plan and a purpose. My family and the future of my family, the success of my family, is interrelated to my faithfulness to this place. Psalms chapter 127. Turn there if you would, please. Verses 1 through 2. Now, again, what is it that I want for my family then? You have to ask yourself some questions. Listen, I, I do want, I want, um, I want my sons to be men first. I want them to be men. Now, again, I, obviously I want them to be Christians, but I want them to be men. I don't want them to act like a bunch of sissies. I want my daughters to be ladies. I want all that too, but I want them to be godly men and godly ladies. I don't want them just to be good men that keep their word. I want them to be good men that keep their word for God. Amen. That follow His word. That are obedient to him as they were obedient to me in my home. I want them to grow up and avoid the hurts and the heartaches and the pitfalls that come through sin and the temptations of it. I don't want my children walking a mile in my shoes. I don't want my children walking a mile in somebody else's shoes that have faltered and failed. I want them to avoid those things. I want them to escape that stuff. I don't want them to have that in their life. Someone says, well, they've got to get bit before they'll grow. That's a lie. They don't have to get out there and get bit. They're going to get enough problems out there. They're going to have enough troubles facing life and dealing in the Christian life. They'll get their problems. I don't need them sucking down a, a stinking uh, Miller Lite. I don't need them taking, shooting drugs in their veins. I don't want them in that lifestyle. I don't want them hanging out with friends at bars. And I don't want them sleeping around with people till they're married. I don't want them doing those things because God doesn't want them doing those things. And so if I'm going to raise a family like that, if I'm going to raise children in a home where the environment is a Christ-like environment, then I'm going to have to have the support of the local church and the people of God, the pastor, the youth directors, the leadership. I need this place. Notice it says, except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain, verse 1, that build it. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow, so, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. We spend a lifetime trying to protect our children from things, and we never let God have them. And yet he says, listen, if I'm not the one that builds the house, you're laboring in vain. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your energy. You're wasting your finances. You're wasting things. And unfortunately today, the church is often the last place we consider when it comes to our homes. Do we have time to go to church this week? Well, I, I, I just have too much to do, honey. Well, then we'll all stay home. What about your family? Come on. What do you want for your kids? What do you want for them? 
I'm not, I'm not opposed. Listen, I want my kids to be normal. Unless you say, well, my kid would be a freak if he's a Christian and acting like a godly Christian. So be it then. I'd rather have him be a Christian and be, you know, pleasing in God's eyes than the world's, obviously. But listen, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I know a lot of young men and young, a lot of young ladies that are living for God and they seem perfectly normal to me. The only thing they don't have on their back is a bunch of consequences and a bunch of regret. I, we, we noted that the church provides us with maturity and ability and, 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 and uh, stability. And these are the elements that affect our outlook as, as parents, as leaders in our home. They affect our outlook as, as grandparents, as those that influence lives in our, our homes and families. They enable us to shine in our marriages. They enable us to shine as parents. When you are stable, when you are mature, when you are, have, have abilities, and again, God-given things, it, it makes you a better husband, a better wife. It makes you a better mom, a better dad. It makes you a better grandma, grandpa. It makes you a better citizen. I didn't say just because you say you're a Christian you are. I said when you allow God to work and these elements are visible and and it's growing in your life. We all want our kids to prosper. We do anything in the world for them. But there's nothing that you and I could do more for our families than than to dedicate ourselves individually to Jesus Christ and to faithfully attending God's house. Nothing you can do. Because it'll change who you are. It'll make you a better person. Makes you the person God wants you to be. And God will bless us, and then He will bless them for it. The peace, the purpose, the prosperity that God will afford us will just run downhill. It'll just naturally wash over our children as well. Now again, we need God to intercede in our homes and our families. That's all there is to it. Again, Satan is attacking the home more than ever today. I mean, anybody that can't see that is close their eyes. They're blind. The reality is, is that the Satan is attacking the home more than... He's redefining what a family is. I mean, the alarm is sounding today. And believers everywhere need to just wake up. We just need to beware. Because the devil's out. There's that roaring lion, as we said already. And he wants to destroy you. Look, if you would, in Joshua chapter 7. I'm going to bring up an unpleasant thought, but I want to make sure we understand it. Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Joshua chapter 7, beginning in verse 20. We're going to read five, six verses here. I just want to make a very quick point. We'll move on here. The Bible tells us in the book of Joshua, it's talking about a particular man by the name of Achan. Achan, of course, was uh, a man that fought in the, the war. He was a, a soldier for Israel. Of course, uh, they had just uh, conquered um, uh Jericho, and so they'd crossed over the Jordan and, and defeated Jericho, and the walls had fell flat. They were told, don't, don't take any lives, uh, don't, don't, don't spare any lives, don't take any gold, don't take any garments, don't take anything. Well, Achan, we're going to find, disobeyed that. He, stole, he took some gold, he took some garments, and some other things, as we'll read. And notice how it plays out now. Notice how this plays out. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord. This is after they figure it out and find out. He never confessed it. They had to go to him and identify him. The Lord pointed him out to the leaders there, Joshua. 
And uh, he said, I have sinned against the Lord God, verse 20, uh, of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, uh, garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran under the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and also the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. So now they have all the things that he took uh, that he should not have taken and now they're laid out before all of Israel. Verse 24, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, his oxen, his asses, his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? Remember what happened now. Achan steals this stuff during the battle of Jericho. The men of God, the Israeli army now, runs up to Ai to defeat this small little nation. And men die. Nobody died, according to the Bible, taking Jericho. There's no reference of any death. No casualties even. Utter destruction. They just took it. Now, all of a sudden, they're fighting this little nation. And they come back with their tail between their legs, running for the hills. Men have died now. Why? Why hast thou troubled us, he says to him, verse 25. The Lord shall trouble thee this day. Joshua's sin affected a whole nation. It affected the whole nation. Now watch. Somebody says, this is ruthless. This is not the God I want to serve. Well, you don't have to serve him, but you will answer to him one day whether you want to or not. It doesn't matter. People say all the time, uh, the God of the Old Testament is a bloody God, and there's no God that I, I don't want to serve a God like that. Well, if you don't serve him, you'll die and go to hell. I'm sorry. Then he's going to have to show you the same wrath that he showed them that were unwilling to turn their hearts to him then, too. I, I'm telling you, I, I'm telling you, I, it's not about trying to be nasty or mean. I'm, I'm just warning you that it doesn't matter what your view of God is. All that matters is what God's view of himself is, and you better find out how he sees himself. Just be careful with that kind of thing. You have an opinion, but your opinion isn't always right according to the Word of God. And ultimately, you'll answer for what God says, not what you believe. So be careful with that. But nonetheless, watch how God deals with it, and he allows Joshua to deal with it this way. Notice, the Lord shall trouble thee this day, and all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Stoned them with stones, burned them with fire. Killed them all. Took them out. Okay, someone says, why would he let that happen? Well, all I know is this. In the New Testament, the Bible tells us that he allowed things like this to happen for our learning so that we could learn something. Well, you know what we learn from this? Dad's sin does affect the whole family. Dad's sin affects the whole family. Well, I don't think that those kids should have to pay for what their dad did. Well, they shouldn't, but they will. They will. Doesn't matter. They will. Nothing we can do about it. Because sin affects us. It does. And listen, today, every one of us have a great opportunity. We're all sitting here today. We have a decision to make. We can choose 
to do things God's way and the result will be God's result. And we can do things our way and the result will be such. Now listen, don't think that you can overcome the passage in Galatians 6-7 that says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sadly enough, not only does he reap it, but his loved ones also reap it. It's too bad, isn't it? Our children, our children need us to be faithful to God and His house. Because it will affect our life, and our life affects their life. Not only that, but our children need to be in, in church themselves, even themselves. The truth, is a very, the, the truth is a very valuable commodity in lives. And the Bible says that the church is the ground and pillar of truth. They need to be here. They are being told lies constantly on the television, maybe even in the classroom. They're being told lies just everywhere we turn. People are telling us, you need this, you have to have this to be happy, you have to do this, you have to become this, you have to have this much money. And those are all lies. God says, this is what you need. We find the word, this is what will make you happy. What's he say in the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23? He says, um, uh, for the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Wait a second. Love, joy, peace. Again, if you do a survey, you'd find, and I've mentioned this already, but a survey, and you ask people what they find most valuable, what they want most in life, I want love. Romance. Love. Romance and love. I want joy in my life. I don't want peace. This confusion is driving me crazy. Top three answers are love, joy, and peace. Isn't it funny that that's the only way you get those things in the Christian life is to be filled with the Spirit? It means to be walking in the light as He is in the light. And yet we discard God and we discard the Word of God and we go our own direction. We wonder why we never find those things. I tried this thing called church. I did it and it didn't work for me and my family. It didn't work because you didn't do it God's way. It was still about you getting something out of it instead of honoring God with it. Listen, the church is so needed in my life. It's so needed in yours. My kids need the church. And we're going to end with this one, so I'm not going to spend much more time. But let me just tell you this. Um, Our children, being in church or having our kids in church is not a guarantee that they will turn out for God. It's not the church's job to raise your kids. It's not our job to raise your kids. It is your job. It is your job to make sure you are in a church, you are in a church that supports biblical roles, responsibilities, and standards. You need a church that holds to the word of God without compromise. That will tell your child it's wrong to do certain things and right to do certain other things. You want that. That sometimes will conflict with what you want. <laughs> In, in a sense that as parents, sometimes we want to watch something we shouldn't watch. We want to go places we shouldn't go. We want to listen to things we shouldn't listen to. And then our kids are being taught other things sometimes. And we're like, well, I just can't deal with this. Wait, 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 wait. wait. What do you want for your kids, though? You would do anything in the world for your kids. Well, will you give them a fighting chance in the world then? By being the Christian you're supposed to be? Because what the parents do in moderation, the children will do in excess. Be careful. Now, the kids need it. Now, again, it's no guarantee our kids will turn out for God. But with the teaching, the support, and the structure of the church, it sure goes a long ways to help us. It really does. I was telling the singles today, one of the things I appreciate about the church and the opportunities that that my kids had in the church, growing up in the church, being totally complete, just 
I mean, the church was, you say, well, you're the pastor. I know. Well, before I was ever a pastor, we were in church all the time. We were faithful. I was never getting paid. I was running the youth department. I was doing the music. I was running a van the same, at the night. I was in the National Guard. I was working a full-time job. I did all those things. Never got paid a dime for it. Listen, I didn't believe the church was important once I started getting a paycheck. The church meant business to me and was important to me long before that ever happened. And let me tell you something. God has blessed that through the years. God's blessed my life because of it. You say, well, your kids could still mess up. Absolutely they could. They make their own decisions. But let me tell you something. I have gleaned so much from being a part of the church. I have gained so much. And, and, and secondly, my kids have too. I think about my kids on those bus routes. They were out there in the midst of those, those bus routes. And you know what they got to see? They got to see what sin produces. They got close enough to sin to say, I don't want that in my life. I see what alcohol does. They even knock on the door and that little kid comes to the door crying. What just happened? My daddy just killed himself last night. Oh, you know what? They don't want that for their life now. What happened? He was, he, they, they find out later he was a drug addict or a drug dealer. And they say, drugs are bad. They got close enough to it. They could rub shoulders. They got a little dirty maybe. But they never got filthy. They never ever got jumped in it. Praise God for that. That was a help. You say that doesn't guarantee they won't. I know it doesn't guarantee they won't. But boy, it sure I think went a long ways to help. Because everything I was preaching and teaching to them at home, everything they heard from the pulpit and from their Sunday school teachers and their youth directors, everything that they heard and saw in your life and the successes that you had and the peace that you had in your life, it all come together and culminated and said, I want something other than that for myself. Praise the Lord for that. I think the church is so valuable to my kids, to my family. And I give God the glory for it. Perfect kids? No. Why? Because there's no perfect dad. Certainly not a perfect mom. (laughs) Am I allowed to say that? (laughs) These ladies are ready to start throwing shoes or something at me, right? I had to say that. I'm sorry. My wife's over there going, wait till I get you at home. But anyway, but you know what? None of us are perfect, right? You know, we're all in the same boat. We're just trying. And you know what I need? I need a lot of help. The church is so important in my life. It's helped me. It's helped me. You know, there are times I've not done bad things. Because I honestly, I didn't want to disappoint you. And you know, there are sometimes you didn't do some bad things because you didn't want to disappoint each other. Church is helpful. It's valuable in our life. It's valuable in my faith. It's valuable for my family. And, and I was going to talk to you about two others, but we don't have time. We're going to close today, okay? But where's the church stand in your life? Have you given some consideration to it? Just make it such a, it, it's really worth investing in. I mean, and when I talk about the church, I'm talking about Christ himself, but he operates and works through the church. He uses the church, okay? Well, anyway, Father, we come to you. We thank you again. Lord, we're grateful, first of all, most importantly, for your salvation. Lord, we're just sinners. And if it wasn't for your salvation, Lord, we'd have no hope at all. Bless us now, Lord. Encourage us today.